I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Today we've got a great nuclear revenge story against a bully. We'll get to that in a bit, but first, why I couldn't forgive my husband. I was one of those people that liked to rant, I love love on Instagram. I could even pass for the head of the awing association of the world. Love, to me, is the most important thing in the world, so when I found love in college, I wanted it to last for a lifetime. But something amid everything didn't tick all my boxes. But I love to agree that perfect love doesn't have to be perfect. The day my mom met Dave, she saw deeply into his soul, but I didn't like what she saw. Ten years later, I wish I listened to her words. Sunshine, if you want to keep shouting I love love, then look past this fine young man. He's not the man for you. I'd listened to my mom all my life, but when I stared right back into her soul after those words, I knew she didn't understand that Dave was the man for me and there was no going back. Why shouldn't it be Dave? When I met Dave, I was drowning. Everything, including myself, seemed to be against me. My grades were dropping and my life was a flip-flop. I never thought I would be heavily depressed at 20, but there was I in the midst of chaos and fear, hoping for someone to seek me out, to see me and rescue me, and Dave was that person who did. He was just an ordinary man whom I saw as extraordinary. At first, it wasn't love that I felt, but when he dropped pink sticky notes on my books to tell me I was the prettiest girl alive, when he picked me up on most cool breezy evenings to go skiing and took me from one resort center to another, when I wasn't busy with schoolwork and all that he did to win me over, it became love eventually. You know what they say about love turning ordinary lives into a fairy tale? That was what I felt. A fairy tale. That fairy tale was what I used another 10 years to protect. Of course, I knew Dave wasn't perfect, but I married him anyway. I knew he didn't have to be perfect to marry him, but I shouldn't have ignored the red flags. When we were in college, I knew I wasn't the only one Dave was seeing, but he made me feel like I was the main chick, and every other girl was a side piece to him. How hilarious. That was against my ethics, but Dave was a sweet man and he didn't rob it to my face that he went out with other girls. He called me his painkiller, and I felt special to have such a huge accolade from him. As far as I was concerned, I was ready to bend my rules for this man who treated me like a queen. What I didn't know was marriage tends to escalate bad habits. I didn't realize I had settled for less just because I felt no one could treat me better than Dave did. It became worse when we had Lisa and Liam. I begged Dave to stop, to change, anything but that lifestyle. Dave made it clear to me that he'd always been like that and he doesn't see anything wrong in going out with other ladies occasionally. He wondered what changed. He said I didn't really care in the past. I didn't care because it used to be just you and I. But we have Lisa and Liam now and they see everything. I told him one summer Tuesday when I couldn't take it anymore. It wasn't me who changed, it was he who began to rob everything on my face. Yes, Dave made it obvious that it wasn't only me who should have his attention and love. On the flip side, it wasn't just about the kids, it was also about me. I felt threatened by the other women in his life. 
I was gradually slipping right into the darkness I was in before Dave saved me in college. My friends once accused me of loving the wrong men. Even though they were right, I hated them for it. Steve was the man who drove me into darkness before Dave came along. When you talk about the devil, you talk about Steve. He was the first man I hooked up with in college, and trust me, I was really hooked. He was everything but sane. I didn't know how, but he got his way easily with ladies. He had access to highbrow words that could get a girl to drool for more. His six feet tall slender body easily attracted comments like a tall glass of wine. And his skin is the definition of caramel and white. His hair is a perfect cut in blonde and the way his face, which houses his sharp pointed nose and his blue eyes, sits gallantly on his long neck is the perfect deceit for a girl who wants to be deceived. I mean, Steve redefined beauty and everything about him was simply giving. In the first few months of dating Steve, I felt everything was pretty cool for an ideal relationship. He made time out for me and he showed me off at every given opportunity, but I had to deal with comments like, oh you're the new catch, enjoy, and I would naively say sure I would, with a wide grin on my face. I seemed to be the only one who didn't know Steve was every woman's catch. He was for everyone and no one in particular. When I noticed the harem of women around him, I became worried. I had thought my first love in college was going to be it, but I was wrong. It was easy for him to call those girls exes or the girls who were trying hard for him to notice them. When I looked back at how much I believed him, I wondered if there was anything like a love spell because I was definitely under a spell. With Steve, I managed to walk away. I knew I couldn't be with him and I accepted it. Everyone expected me to do the same with Dave, but I didn't. When I chose Dave, he wasn't that guy that gave off the possibility of having multiple women. He was always by my side. And I truly felt I hit a jackpot when he asked me to be his girl. And when I noticed I wasn't the only one he had, I was already in love with him. I should have left, but I didn't. Love became my perfect alibi. I didn't know why I settled, and it hurt that I did. I felt a perfect love doesn't have to be perfect. Unfortunately, I didn't even have a perfect love. I had almost no one to confide in because everyone I had didn't want me to marry Dave. I remember when my best friend Palmer told me that not every good guy is fit for one to marry, and that not all fairy tales should lead to forever. I smiled shyly, the way I like to smile when I know my mind is fixated on something. I didn't know what to do. I gullibly believed I was going to be Dave's painkiller for life. I hated the word painkiller. I couldn't blame myself for feeling so. Dave made me feel entirely special all through our dating period. He was a perfect gentleman and no one could convince me that he wasn't the perfect man for me. When I looked back at how my life with Dave played out, I realized that I didn't have a healthy self-esteem. My mom saw that I wasn't choosing the right man and she tried to protect me. Eventually, my mom encouraged me to file for divorce, but her illusioned daughter believed in fairy tale endings. I did everything I could to put the home together, but I did it for the wrong man. Along the line, I recommended a therapist and a counselor for Dave and me. I thought that was going to bring equilibrium to our marriage. At first, Dave was all about it, but eventually he went back to the old ways. I was dazed when he encouraged me to take on other men too. I broke down in tears because I didn't sign up for an open marriage. Because I didn't want a divorce, I began to lose valuable relationships. My friends thought I'd lost my mind completely. 
They didn't understand why an American like me would want to stay glued to such a man as Dave. My excuses irritated them and my excuses irritated me too. I took solace in the fact that Lisa and Liam's faces lit up whenever Dave was around. He wasn't the best dad, but he had a thing with the kids. He had a way of making Lisa chuckle and Liam jump about. They had a bond and I didn't want to take that away. Although I wanted him to be more available for the kids, I still appreciated the little time he gave. Yes, I had to appreciate the father of my kids for making out time for his children. I hated to admit that I would eventually file for divorce, but Dave's negligence was the last straw that broke the camel's back. Aside from keeping numerous side pieces, he neglected the kids and me on numerous occasions. He worked hard but cared little about his family. The Dave I met liked to take good care of his own. He had such a huge sense of responsibility, and it hurt so much that he allowed other women to take that part of him away. His attention was everywhere but his home. I had the desire to protect Lisa and Liam from the agony I went through when my parents got divorced. I kept making excuses for badly behaved men because I looked for a father figure in the men I dated so badly. I didn't want that for Lisa and I wanted to protect Liam, so when everything fell apart, I was in so much agony and pain. Sadly, that desire was short-lived when Liam died in my arms when Dave was out on one of his numerous escapades. I realized that the best protection was to have filed for a divorce a long time ago. I was filled with so much resentment and hatred. I hated the day Dave walked into my life, and I hated much more that I allowed him to save me. I should have drowned in my darkness because I couldn't bear the pain of losing Liam. Liam was so precious to me. At seven, he wanted to protect me and his sister at all costs. It was adorable to see him squeeze my hands warmly so I could feel that he was there for me on gloomy days. He was both sensitive and smart. He made chirping noises all around the house and he was the rainbow that brightened our home on most cloudy days. And now, Liam lay lifeless in my arms. That morning before the incident, Dave was expected to be home so that we could take Liam to school to watch him play baseball. Dave had sworn to be available and I looked forward to sitting beside my husband while we watch our son play his favorite sport. Liam was in no mood for the delay as he dashed into his father's bedroom to tell him he was ready. When he wasn't there, he ran frantically around the house calling his dad with all intensity. In a bid to be sure that Dave's car was still outside, Liam ran out without looking. My Liam slipped and hit his head on the tiles, and I wasn't even there to save him. Neither was Dave. Everyone said it was an accident, but I knew that Liam died out of negligence. I couldn't forgive that. I just couldn't. I hated that I had to seek revenge against my son's dad as all I wanted was a quiet divorce. Dave had hurt me so much over the years, yet I didn't see the need to avenge myself. But when I saw what happened to my son Liam, I knew the closure I needed would be provided on a platter of revenge. The pain I felt was second to none. In a flash, my life had changed. I was both a mourner and a broken woman. If only Dave was home that morning if he hadn't gone out to tend to one of his mistresses while he neglected his own home. I got separated from Dave and karma took the wheels of revenge for me. Indeed, the universe listens. When I filed for divorce, Dave fell sick. I didn't see it coming. Although he lived a reckless life, he was a healthy man. It started with a mild swelling on his neck and then the swelling got bigger. 
Everything was happening so fast for him and he couldn't process everything in a glance. He suddenly became a changed man. He acted all remorseful and available, but it was too late. I waited for 10 years to build happiness with him, but all he did was cause me intense pain and regret. When he got diagnosed with cancer of the lymphatic system, he suddenly realized he needed his family by his side. The day Liam died was the day the marriage died, and the perfect revenge for me was to leave without looking back. Dave deteriorated faster than the doctors could explain, and I had to send Lisa to see him out of courtesy, not sympathy. I was surprised at the woman I became. I felt so bad that a huge chunk of the real me had been lost to the bad marriage I experienced. Dave was left at the mercy of caregivers, and I wished he could feel half the pain I had felt all these years. The pressure to cancel the divorce proceedings was much from family and friends, but I remained resolute. I wanted Dave to know what it felt like to be abandoned, let down, unloved, betrayed, and deceived. Thankfully, Dave survived cancer. That was a plus on my side because I began the divorce proceedings in full force after a few months. Dave was apologetic, humane, and everything nice, but I wasn't there anymore, or I was simply consumed by the quest for revenge. I was determined to spend the rest of my life being a baby girl. I was going to heal and love myself enough to choose right. When I saw that I paid Dave back in his coins, I felt peace in my heart. Until I'm old and gray, I'm going to continue to shout, I love love. Until the universe blesses me with the love that is just for me, I will continue to awe at other people's good love stories. The day Dave and I officially got divorced, I knew I was going to spend the next decades of my life choosing what and who is right for me and living right. This is definitely up there in one of the more devastating nuclear revenge stories. I would even go to the length of saying that maybe it's not even nuclear revenge, it's just what OP should have done and did do. I mean, I give OP a lot of kudos for having the resolve to stick through this and not let something like Dave's situation distract them from what Dave's done and why things are where they are. Our next story is, I dated my ex's boss and got him fired. My ex was an arrogant piece of crap. I still sometimes wonder how I allowed that demon anywhere around me. The fact that I once called him my boyfriend nauseates me. I was in college when I met him, and it was difficult for me. I had just finished my junior year and was struggling to get a job to save for my senior year. I got a job at a prominent restaurant in the city, and the pay was great compared to what many other food establishments paid their staff, but it was a very stressful job. The restaurant was right in the heart of a very big city, and the food was good. My boss made sure of that. He even joked around that the reason he decided on a restaurant was that there were too many restaurants that served tiny portions of food and charged diners exorbitant prices. But their food tasted like paper mixed with garlic. Again, my former boss said this, not me. Our restaurant was always fully booked and was frequented by the who is who of society. Actors, singers, movie producers, famous novelists, businessmen, and the like were often present at the restaurant treating themselves and their friends to a nice meal. Whether it was mornings, afternoons, and nights, the restaurant was always fully booked. I barely had time for myself. I also had to take up extra shifts too. I needed the money. Three months before the school year ended, my parents called me to inform me that they would not be able to support me financially in my senior year. 
My mom had been fired unjustly as a school teacher and she didn't have any money to hire lawyers and fight back. My dad had only just retired and they had to save money. Also, they had to take financial care of my sister, who was still in high school at the time. I took up the job so I could use the money to pay for tuition and other stuff when the school session started. One month into my job, I realized that there was no way I could make enough money to cover my senior year working in a restaurant for three months. It was very frustrating. I told my coworker, a very beautiful girl who was just two or three years older than me about my situation while we were having a chat one rare, slow evening. She had gotten a job at the restaurant immediately after she came to the city and had been working at the restaurant for a year. She was very ambitious, and if you spent time with her, you could tell that she already saw herself walking on different runways and winning hundreds of beauty pageants. She worked hard at the restaurant, but she was certain that she wouldn't have to work at the restaurant for much longer. She was going to be a top model. I sometimes got jealous of her daring personality and her determination to succeed. I knew she would make it as a model. She was beautiful anyway, and she had just the body that was in demand. You really thought he could pay for a senior year in college with a three-month salary here? Her facial expression went from shocked to amused to sympathetic. She reached out and held my hand and then she squeezed it and let go. Honey, she said in her accent. She tried very hard not to let on that she has an accent when speaking and it made me feel special that she let her guard down around me like that. Nobody gets ahead in this city by waiting tables. You need the money from the restaurants as supports of sorts, but you need other kinds of money too. I looked around suspiciously, but only because she did that first. Then I showed her from my expression that I had no idea what she was talking about. You need a sponsor, honey. I said, no, that's not my thing. I wouldn't even know how to behave around a sugar daddy. I may even end up falling in love with him. She laughed and said, who said anything about a sugar daddy? Get a rich boyfriend, period. Maybe he'll be nice enough to loan you some money. That's cheaper than getting a loan from the government. I smiled, but I decided that I was not going to take her advice. I would probably be too embarrassed to ask a guy I was dating for money. I'd only ever asked my boyfriend for a loan once, and it was in my freshman year when I was dating a basketballer. I saw a beautiful dress in a shop's window and fell in love with it immediately. I was going to buy it, but I didn't have any money with me and my credit card was back in my dorm room. I feared that it wouldn't be there if I returned the next day. So I walked out to my then boyfriend and whispered in his ear that I needed a quick loan. I noticed the smile that danced on his lips when I asked. He looked as though he was happy that I asked and proudly fished out his credit card and gave it to me. Everything changed, however, when I met my ex-boyfriend. He was in his later 30s and was quite physically unattractive. He looked fierce, but when he asked me out at the restaurant and I told him I was going to be busy the next evening, he offered to pay for my shift and I accepted his offer. We went out and he seemed lovely. He had quiet confidence around him. Something that I learned later was simply arrogance. I had never been with anyone that old, but I was willing to try because I genuinely liked him. We went out every night that week. He worked for a popular actor as his manager. The actor seemed to pay him well because he had a lot of money and was also well connected in society. He hardly had time to see me the week after and I didn't like that. He didn't either, so he asked me to move in with him. I protested that we had just met, but he kissed me and said, I'll have the driver arrange for them to move your things. I thought it was weird that he just said that with a note of finality, but I also thought it was romantic. 
So at the end of that week, I moved into his apartment which was in the middle of the city. I enjoyed living with him in the first week. Perhaps this was because he wasn't at home in the first week. He had gone on a trip with the actor. It wasn't until he returned from that trip that we hooked up for the first time. I knew that night that he was a selfish lover. I enjoyed being with him, experiencing a different love life than I was used to. I wanted to try something different anyway. I don't like returning from work and not seeing you at home, he said to me one evening as I changed from my waitress uniform. I sighed and said it was a busy night at the restaurant. An actress booked the whole restaurant for her birthday and we had to cater to the wants of actors and famous faces. Don't go back, he said. Just stay here and paint. You paint, don't you? I nodded and resigned the next day. Having my ex make these decisions for me didn't bother me at all. I'd been making the important decisions all my life, carefully examining how every decision might affect me. I liked that with him. I could be very reckless. With time, it became easier to ask my ex for a loan. He gladly obliged and told me it wasn't a loan. I'm giving it to you, he said when I thanked him for the loan. It's a gift, he said and kissed me on the cheek. I resumed my senior year and still lived with him. My aunt had a house on campus since she was a staff member. I stayed with her on weekdays, but on weekends, I left for my ex's apartment in the city. My ex soon bought me a car and life was good. Except for his continuous absence and angry outbursts sometimes that I chose not to pay attention to, I made excuses for him. He was probably stressed working with many famous people. After graduation, I decided on staying in the city and looking for a suitable job. When I told my ex about my plans to find a job in the city, he kicked against it. I'd like to return home and meet my woman, he said with a frown on his face. What? I asked him, as though I didn't hear him. I like to return home and meet my woman, he repeated, daring me to disagree. I said that's not possible. You know I've always wanted to work, I stammered, hating myself for stammering, being so intimidated by him. For days, our communication was bad. Not that we ever really communicated anyway. His stance was clear and final. I could not work. I was angry. I'd allowed him to control me for so long, and he had forgotten who was in charge. I too had forgotten who was in charge. He went with his boss to a filming location, so I started looking for jobs. I checked newspapers and magazines and talked to the very few friends I had in the city. Eventually I found a job as a junior art curator at a gallery. The gallery was very close to my ex's apartment and this made me happy. Perhaps he wouldn't throw a fit if he knew I worked very close to the house. When he returned, I told him about my new job in a quivering voice that irritated me. He was mad at me. That can't happen, he thundered. I'd been sitting close to him on the couch with my legs on his lap. He pushed my legs away, causing me to nearly fall from the couch. I was startled. It's just a walking distance from the apartment, I said in that quivering voice again. I don't want you working. Simple. You can't tell me what to do, I cried. I realized at that moment how small I was. He was taking advantage of how young and inexperienced I was. He was taking advantage of the gratitude I felt for what he had done for me. I'd always wanted to work. It never made sense to me that a woman would not make any money. I believed that women should make money regardless of how little it was. A week after our little quarrel, I told him I was ending our relationship. Trust me doll, you don't want to mess with me, he said with an edge to his voice. Are you threatening me? I asked, glaring back at him. He turned away from me and I went into the bedroom we shared and started to pack my things. 
My waitress model friend from the restaurant allowed me to move in with her for the first month. Her house was very uncomfortable for me given that I'd just left a very comfortable, luxurious apartment. I had just gotten to work one morning when a mailman called my name and when I answered he handed me a letter. The letter address looked familiar. It was the name of a law firm popular in the city. It turned out that my ex had told his lawyers to send me a letter asking for the money he lent to me to pay for my senior year in college. I was alarmed. Is this how he wants to pay me for ending my relationship with him? I asked my friend later in the evening. Unfortunately, that's how these men work. They're rich and powerful and would use these powers as they wish. She kissed me on the cheek and left for work. That night, I thought long and hard about how to get back in my ex. I didn't have that amount of money, and even if I did, I would never give it to him. If he was a rich and powerful man, then other even richer and more powerful men could help me take him down. I remembered then how he would complain about the actor he worked for and how he was a rich brat. My friend had found her way into the different networks of rich and powerful men in the city, and I was going to need her help. At the time, she was seeing a movie producer. It was a very quiet relationship because he was married. I asked her if she could ask to meet the actor, and he agreed. She set up a meeting, and soon enough, I met the actor my ex worked for. One thing I have never doubted my whole life was my beauty. I knew I wasn't so book smart. I never had an A in college. I called myself an artist, but I could barely paint a good picture. I was beautiful, and I was determined to, for the first time, use my beauty to my advantage. I met the actor, and as I expected, I managed to seduce him. I wasn't surprised at all that he didn't know me, seeing as I worked for his manager for a while. My ex never introduced me to anyone. I think he was too terrified to allow me to see other better looking and richer men. He was also scared that they would see me. I didn't try to pretend that I was a fan or just some thirsty girl who wanted to get down with a celebrity. I told him that I needed his help and that someone was trying to take advantage of me. He listened to my story and promised to do something about it. He did confront his manager and I guess that confrontation led to my ex unburdening his heart. The actor told me later that my ex said a lot of foul things to him when he confronted him and had even tried to hit him. They'd been having issues, but mine was the breaking point. He was going to pay my ex back the money he claimed I owed him, but he decided that he was going to pay more expensive lawyers to battle in court. His manager was terrified and withdrew the letters immediately. Of course, I'm not fooled to think he did it for me. I was smart enough, even then, to know that men will do nearly anything for their egos, and I used that knowledge to my advantage. My ex was sacked. And for a while, the actor and I were together. I had to end the relationship when he refused to go official or be seen with me in public. Well, I definitely think this highlights the good and bad of this situation. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. 
This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Storytime is sponsored by BetterHelp. Nearly everyone at some point in their life will struggle with their mental health, whether that's something stressful at work, in a personal relationship, or something else. I know that I really struggled with anxiety in my early 20s, and therapy was a massive help for me. That's why I'm a massive fan of therapy, and today's sponsor, BetterHelp. If there is anything in your life, big or small, that is negatively affecting you, get it off your chest with BetterHelp. It's an online therapy service that, after finishing a small questionnaire, will match you with a licensed therapist, where you can book appointments that match up with your schedule at any place or any time. And if you feel like you're not bonding with your therapist, you can switch at any point for free. Also, therapy isn't just if you're struggling with mental health. If you're looking for guidance or ways to improve your social skills, life, or relationships, it's a great judgment-free way of doing that. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com StorytimePod today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash StorytimePod. If you are capable of getting into one, they'll use that money to make you swoon or do things. And as soon as you want to break that up and go your own way, I'm sure they'll be more than happy to use that money to make you feel miserable or try to put you back down to the level you were before you got with them. This next story is, Bully humiliates me at a party, so I got him suspended. All my life, I've been a scared little boy. I was scared of everything. People, animals, places, even food. Not all types of food though, just the ones I'm allergic to like pineapple and sesame. People say it's wise to have a healthy dose of fear, but I can't really tell if my dose of fear is actually healthy. Sometimes when I was nine, I listened to a podcast from a doomsday preacher and I was convinced that the world was going to end on a certain date. I can't really remember the date right now, but because of that, I made sure to spend all the money I was saving for a new pair of Heelys on junk food and arcades, then told my parents goodbye one last time. The next day, to my surprise, nothing happened. Well, except for the fact that I woke up with a bad stomach ache and no savings. I say all this to show that I had lots of fears in my life, but the one thing I feared above all was public humiliation. It happened to one of my friends in middle school, his name was Will. Some 8th graders decided to play a prank on him, so after gym, they stole his belt from his gym bag and when he couldn't find it, he had to go to class with a pair of loose pants. Then during the lunch break, they approached him to pull down his pants, revealing his Toy Story themed boxers for everyone to see. As I said, this happened to a friend of mine, but I couldn't help but cringe from the secondhand embarrassment. By the end of that school year, Will transferred to another school, something he had the luxury to do because his parents were separated and they had the option to choose whoever he wanted to live with. I don't have that option. If I suffer that kind of humiliation, I was literally going to die. Well, at least that's what I told myself. 
During my sophomore year of high school, I was invited to a party where I suffered the worst possible humiliation. I didn't die. Instead, I got my revenge. But let us start at the top. After my freshman year of high school, my dad decided that we had to move. He had just been offered a new position at work which came with a considerable raise. But that catch was that he was going to have to uproot his life from New York and move all the way to California. This was a hard decision for the family because our whole lives were in New York. Mom and dad were both born there. Their parents lived there. Mom had a small clinic where she worked as a dermatologist. And all my and my older brother James's friends were there. But mom decided that it was a good idea to go. She explained that dad's career was really important to the running of the household. And since she could practice anywhere, it wasn't really a big deal. Besides, living in LA was way cheaper than in New York so James and I could finally get separate rooms. During the summer holiday, we moved to our new apartment. It was nice and spacious as expected, and there was a basketball court a few blocks away, which James got really excited because he plays basketball for our previous high school. A few days after we moved in, we got settled and even made some new friends in the neighborhood. Less than a month later, we resumed school for the new session. On the first day, I took some extra time to groom myself because I wanted to make a good first impression in school. I changed my outfit more than three times before I decided to go with the initial one. Eventually, James decided that he wasn't going to wait for me, and so he left. I got to school later, and as is typical with new students, I didn't have anyone new to talk to, and it was kind of lonely. James, on the other hand, was a people person, so he didn't have that trouble. During lunch break, I ate with James and we discussed about our first day experiences and stuff. The next two days were better. I found some students in my advanced placement English class and we hit it off. During tryouts, James did really well and he got into the basketball team. He wasn't really interested in joining at first because he wanted to take more time studying. He was in his senior year of high school and he wanted to get a perfect GPA so that he could qualify for a scholarship but my dad talked him into trying out because he knew that he loved the sport. Besides, he was already so smart and he was surely going to do well in the final exams and SATs. A few weeks after we resumed, I went to join my friends from AP English in the cafeteria. We were having a discussion about one of the books we had to read for a class, and we got so immersed in it that I didn't notice that someone was behind me. Eventually, someone tapped my shoulder and the discussion stopped. It was a guy I had seen in the hallway once or twice. He was also a sophomore, but he had the physical appearance of a senior. Behind him were two other guys, and they had mischievous grins on their faces. I just knew that they weren't up to any good. The huge guy introduced himself as Max. I tried to introduce myself, but he waved me off and picked up my turkey sandwich. I told him firmly that it was mine, and he wasn't allowed to eat it, and he threw me a surprised look as though he couldn't imagine that I was standing up to him. Well, sitting down. One of my AP English friends, Jordan, told me to just give it up. But I didn't listen. I never got bullied in my former school, and I wasn't about to bow my head and let some jerk do as he pleases at my expense. Max tried to throw the sandwich in his mouth, but I didn't let him. I stood up sharply and then slapped the food off his hands. He tried to grab me, but one of his followers stopped him. The serving women were looking right at our table and they also had the right to call in the principal if they suspect anything remotely associated with bullying. He took a few steps backward and then walked away with his friends. My friends cheered me on for being brave enough to stand up to Max, who was one of the worst bullies in the school. 
It was only Jordan who didn't seem so thrilled. He told me that while it was nice that I was able to stand my ground with Max, it would have been better if I had just given him what he wanted. When I asked him why, he explained that Max was vindictive, and the little altercation in the cafeteria wasn't going to be the end of it. To be honest, the way Jordan said it was kind of scary, but in the end, I decided that he was blowing things out of proportion, but by the end of the week, I realized that he wasn't. At the end of the second period on that fateful Friday morning, I hurried out of class to get to the restroom. I really had to pee, and because of this, I didn't notice that I was being followed. As soon as I walked into a toilet stall, two guys walked in after me. They grabbed my neck and pushed my face inside the toilet. I tried to push back, but they weren't done with me. While one of the guys held my head in the toilet, the other guy sprayed my face with some kind of hose. I'm not sure because I couldn't turn around to look at him. I couldn't tell how long I was in the toilet for, but I was sure I was going to drown. It felt like I was being waterboarded. Then, as abruptly as it started, it ended. They let go and hurried out of the bathroom before I could rearrange myself. I knew it was Max and his guys. It had to be but I couldn't do anything about it or report the incident to anyone because I didn't see their faces. During the lunch break, I told my friends what happened, and they were also at a loss for what to do. But then a solution came to my mind a few days later in the form of a note on the notice board. The hall monitor had a biking accident during the previous weekend, and he had to undergo surgery. He wasn't going to be able to come to school for the rest of the semester, and so a new hall monitor was needed. This was the best way to not only avoid bullying, but to also stop bullies from picking on the weaker students. The teachers respect and listen to the hall monitors, so the students won't want to get on their bad side. So I quickly applied for the position, and fortunately I was chosen for the job. In the few weeks following my installment as a hall monitor, I got Max and his guys in detention twice. The first time was when they were picking on a freshman in the hallway a few minutes after the break was over, and I quickly reported them to the nearest teacher. The second time was when I saw them sneaking off the school campus. This time, they actually begged me not to tell anyone, but I felt like it was important to report delinquent students to the school authorities. Also, I was still very pissed about the toilet incident, so I wanted to get them in trouble as much as I could. They spent weeks in detention, and they couldn't get back at me. All was right in the world. But that did not last. Just a few weeks before exams began, Max and his friends walked up to me in the hallway, and he apologized for how he'd been acting toward me. He explained that nobody had ever stood up to him the way I did, which made him feel attacked. Thinking about it now, that apology sounded so lame, so fake. But then, I was naive enough to believe him. I accepted his apology, and he asked me if I was going to be at a house party that one of his friends was throwing. I'd heard about the party among my friends, but I didn't really think much about it. But when Max asked me, I said, yeah, sure, I was going to be there. By the end of the school day, I told my friends about the invitation, and Jordan, being the cynic of the group, told me that their motive for inviting me wasn't so pure. Even at the time, I knew that there was a very high chance that he was right, but I didn't care. I had never been invited to any party till that day. Sure, I was going to go. My friends, on the other hand, decided that it was better to be safe than sorry. That Friday night, I asked James to come to the party with me, but he declined, saying that he had to study. So I went to the party by myself. Worst mistake I could have made at the time. I'd never had alcohol before that day, 
So when Max offered me a drink, I was skeptical at first, but I eventually gave in after a while. I played a drinking game with some guys at the party, and that was all I could remember from that night. The next day, I woke up to a throbbing headache and some really disappointed parents. Till today, I still don't remember how I got home. After a long lecture about responsibility and whatnot, my parents decided to ground me, which was pretty fair, given the circumstances. I thought that was the end till I got to school the next week and found out that there was a video of me circulating around the school among the students. There was one of me dancing at the party with only my underwear and the other one was of me puking my guts out in the bathroom. I was utterly shocked by the video. That was when it dawned on me that Max wasn't trying to be nice when he invited me to the party. He was looking for a way to completely humiliate me and make a joke out of me. And it worked. Everyone teased me and called me barf monitor for the next few days. Jordan and my friends consoled me and told me to let it go because the back and forth had gone on long enough, but I wasn't the type to back down from a fight. I decided that I was going to get my revenge as soon as possible, and I already knew how I was going to do it. You see, one of the perks of being the hall monitor was the fact that everyone, even the teachers and other staff, trusted and respected you, and because of that, I had access to certain things. I could get the key to the teacher's or principal's office from the janitor, no questions asked, and that was what I did. With just a few days to exams, I snuck into the chemistry teacher's office and got the answers to the examination. Then, I made a photocopy. Next, I snuck into the principal's office. He had a book in which the law combination to every student's locker in the school was written. I used it to get the combination to Max's locker. Then, I stashed the answers among some of his books. Then the next day, which was our chem exams day, I dropped an anonymous tip to the chemistry teacher, telling him that I saw Max sneaking around his office and clutching to a paper that looked like it contained answers. He confronted Max a few minutes before the exam was supposed to start, and as expected, Max denied it vehemently. The teacher then proposed a search of his locker, which Max agreed to do. He even opened the locker for him, only to be shocked by the realization that the answers were actually in his locker. He tried denying having anything to do with the answers in his locker, but nobody believed him. His parents were called, and after a long meeting in the principal's office, Max was suspended for the rest of the school year. Well, I guess this just goes to show why everybody does not want to get on bad with the hall monitor. I mean, I don't imagine too many hall monitors are going to go to the lengths that OP did here. But hey, when you've been utterly humiliated and you honestly have just about nothing to lose, at least it feels like you do, some people are definitely going to try their best to get their nuclear revenge. And honestly, considering this guy's a notorious bully, he probably deserves it. Our next story is, I really have bad luck with men. My ex Daniel hurt me worse than I ever have been hurt before, and I just had to get mine back. To understand just how horrible what Dan did to me was, I'm going to have to back up a bit. Like all the way back to my first boyfriend. See, I was something of a late bloomer. I really didn't do things when people my age did them. I had my first alcohol at the age of 23. I'm going to tell you now that Dan was responsible for this. I really didn't have a rebellious teen stage in my life, and even my first kiss came when I was 19 years old. For someone who just did about everything late, it wasn't particularly weird that my first boyfriend was when I was in college, right? Well, yeah, but I was still very conscious about it. 
like really conscious. Once in 10th grade, my friend made a joke about me being alone forever and I thought about it for like a month. Apparently, guys saw me as too serious and not fun as one guy said. While it was true that I was pretty focused on my academics, I was pretty fun too, once you get the chance to really get to know me. Unfortunately, the guys in my class weren't interested in getting to know me. I was so scared of being alone, it actually kept me up at night sometimes. I started trying to make myself appealing just so I could get someone, anyone, to notice me. Now, I'm not exactly the most self-confident person, but I'm not unattractive, and I know this. So as some time continued to pass with very little interest from boys, I started to get a little desperate, too. Me trying to put myself out there and openly flirt with guys didn't really help me get a boyfriend at all. I either creeped them out or sent the wrong signal and got approached by creeps. Eventually, I just gave up on the whole struggle and accepted that it was going to take some time before I found someone who wanted me. In my freshman year of college, I met that person, or at least so it seemed. His name was Barry Allen. I know that sounds very similar to the name of a particular speedster. Barry and I met at a party. I had gone after my roommate had told me that if I stayed in any longer, I'd turn into a ghoul. It was Barry who walked up to me first. Of course, I was flattered that someone was talking to me, but I really didn't put much thought into it working out. I was there as the designated sober friend whose main mission was to prevent my roommate from doing anything stupid, but I still took the time to talk to Barry. Honestly, it was fun. By the time my roommate and I left the party, he had my number, and he already texted me by the time we got back to the dorm. My relationship with Barry was really intense. I guess I was trying to make up for all the experiences with a significant other I had missed this entire time, so I guess we moved a little too fast. Barry didn't seem to mind though, and we had a ton of good times together. I even started to cut classes just to be with him. The first month or so was absolutely beautiful. I thought Barry was everything I wanted, and I was basically ready to marry him. And then the red flags started to show up. At first, it was the fact that he was always going somewhere and never really seemed to have a good explanation to where he was going and what he was going to do. At first, I tried to convince myself that I was just being paranoid and he had a life outside of being with me, but then I saw him on a date with another woman. I didn't hear about it. I didn't receive photos from a friend who also happened to be in the same restaurant. I saw it with my own eyes. Of course, I made a scene. I actually may still be banned from that restaurant, and I stormed out with tears running down my cheeks and my heart in shatters. For days he apologized and basically stalked me trying to get me back, and somehow it worked. I got back with him. I was still hurt though, and I was more cautious of him after that. Funnily enough, he did seem to change. In fact, if anything, he seemed to be overcompensating for his past indiscretion. He was always at my dorm and he was always very sweet, randomly bringing me gifts, flowers, and candy. I started to loosen up again and trust him. Then it happened. One day, I had to leave class early because I had a tummy ache, and I walked in on Barry, making out with my roommate. To say that I was shocked would be an understatement. For weeks, I was depressed and an absolute mess. The rest of the semester was a blur, and I don't remember much of it at all. It wasn't until I got home that I had time to properly process what had happened and get over it. At least, as best as you can get over something like that. Barry scared me, and I was completely uninterested in another guy after that. 
That was until after a year when I met Daniel Price. The fateful day I met Dan, I was having lunch on a bench. The moment I saw Dan approaching me, I resolved that I would reject him in the bluntest way possible, like I had a handful of guys that had tried to talk to me after Barry. However, there was one thing that I did not anticipate, Dan's smile. When he smiled, the words in my mouth got all jumbled up and all I could really do was stare. He had told me that he noticed me on campus a few times but hadn't really had the guts to talk to me till then. He sat down beside me and also pulled out his lunch. For the next 15 minutes, we did nothing but eat. Perhaps it was because of how subtle he was or perhaps it was his annoyingly enchanting smile but when he started to talk to me and ask questions, I responded. I hated the fact that I was already starting to like him but it also felt really good. Soon it was time to get back to class, so I told him I had to go. When he asked for my number, I told him to hope he saw me on campus again and I left. I instantly regretted not giving him my number and I almost ran back to give him. I almost. However, I was still very hurt about what had happened between Barry and I and the last thing I wanted was to get hurt again. With any luck, I would never see Dan again and I would go the rest of my life living happily. That was what I said to myself, but then the next day I went back to the same bench to eat lunch again. He didn't show up, but I wasn't deterred. I was prepared to have lunch on that bench for as long as it took till I got to see Dan again. On the fourth day, he showed up. I told him I was starting to think he would never show up again. He laughed and said he'd been looking for me in other places. That day I got to learn a lot more about Dan. He played basketball for the university and was quite a good point guard, apparently. I had never really been a fan of basketball, but I'd already started making a mental note to do research on the school's basketball team. He liked classical music and spent almost half an hour talking about some of his favorite pieces and composers. That day, I did give him my number, and the next two years of my life was sealed. My relationship with Dan was almost the complete opposite of my relationship with Barry. We moved very slow. Dan was really sweet, but then again Barry was sweet, so I was still a bit skeptical. I kept looking for red flags and trying to find excuses to end the relationship early before I got my heart hurt again. Milestones in our relationship took so long. In fact, we'd been seeing each other for almost 6 months before I accepted to officially be Dan's girlfriend. Up till that point I just kept telling everyone we were seeing where it was going. The way I saw it, the less invested I was in everything, the less it would hurt if it all went south. However, eventually, over months, I started to heal and I started to trust Dan more. When we graduated, we moved in together and started our respective careers. He didn't go pro with basketball. It took a little while longer for me to get a job though, so for a few months, I was almost completely reliant on Dan. During that time, I got to become even more trusting of Dan and basically let my walls down. When I started to work too, we settled into a routine where work took up most of our time. But he was still a great boyfriend and he was still available, or at least so it seemed. So what changed? Well, one day I started to feel a little suspicious. It wasn't that I wasn't enjoying the time we spent together. The main issue was that Dan seemed too perfect. I know you're probably thinking about just how weird that sounds, but really I'd been in a relationship with Dan for about two years, and yet I didn't feel like I didn't know enough about him. It seemed like he was showing me the kind of person he wanted to be around me instead of who he really was. It was the little things too. 
For example, he told me very little about his family and his childhood. There was also the fact that he never told me about his friends, and when I asked, he always just said they were unimportant, or that he really didn't hang out with them much. It seemed like our relationship was getting more serious by the second. So why had I still never met any of his friends? It just didn't seem right with me. He just had to be hiding something. Perhaps a second secret life? I'd read about men who had entire second families and who had somehow seemed available for both their families and were seemingly perfect husbands and fathers. Perhaps Dan was someone like that too. I didn't know. So I did what every suspicious girlfriend did. I went snooping. For months, I secretly searched his documents and files to see if I could find anything on him. I even did searches at the DMV and the US prison records. Nothing. So I went to the one place I knew I could always find info, his phone. Now, I've always maintained that privacy is important, and I had never gone through Dan's phone up until that point, but I just needed to know what was up with him. So while he slept one night, I picked his phone up and went digging. I went straight to his messages, and boy was it a minefield. The first thing I saw was a group chat called The Boys, and you wouldn't believe who was in the group, Barry. That's right, my ex-boyfriend was seemingly best pals with my new boyfriend, and I had no idea. That doesn't seem so bad though, right? Well, true, but when I went through their chat, I was horrified. Apparently Dan had started dating me as a dare by Barry. Barry had claimed that I was damaged goods, and Dan had said that he could get me anyways. So the last almost two years of my life, I'd been with someone who only saw me as a conquest. What was worse? Dan was planning to break up with me on our two-year anniversary. The boys joked about it, and Barry even asked for a video. Pain, sorrow, heartache, and anger welled up inside me. Just when I started to think I could trust someone again, this happens. Absolutely shattered as I was, I decided that this wouldn't break me completely, so I carried on dating Dan, but I also started to scheme. Now, Dan liked to send me inappropriate photos when I was out alone or with friends to motivate me to come home, so I compiled a few of them and three days to our anniversary, I sent them and a ton of inappropriate messages to his female boss from his phone. Then I picked the bag I'd prepared up and left the apartment forever. Simple as my plan was, it worked really well. He not only got fired from his job, somehow no one wanted to believe that his girlfriend had been the one to send the photos, but he also got slapped with a sexual harassment lawsuit as well. I got my friends to get my things from the apartment, and I didn't see him for a long while, though I got info about him from the gossip mill. Eventually, I decided that I had to make sure I finished what I started, and I contacted the prosecuting attorney to testify against him. As I told the court how I had no idea what kind of sicko Dan was and how I'd broken up with him as soon as I'd heard what he had done, I looked into his eyes and saw the face of a defeated man. It was then that I knew I had won. On the way out of the courtroom, I walked up to him and whispered, Nice bet you had, baby. I haven't heard from Dan since then. I also would probably never be able to trust another man again, but at the very least... I had my vengeance on Dan for toying with my heart, and my only regret is that I couldn't get Barry too. But who knows, maybe I just might soon.
The only reason why I can't really blame OP for what they did here is imagine having two years of your life taken up and finding out it was all a lie the whole time. I feel like just about anybody would have a crazy reaction to finding out they wasted two years of their lives over a total scumbag and having your trust completely ruined again. But with that being said, that's all the time we have for today. Now if you want to hear another absolutely crazy revenge story, check out that video on the left. Or if you missed my latest video, check out that video on the right. That said, I'll see you all next time with some more stories. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.